want to kick this thing off and uh talk about some shit that sure. is- <laughs> all right hey listeners you are listening to another exciting episode of chewing the scenery horror movie podcast this is a podcast where three friends get together in this case virtually and talk about a horror movie which we will spoil we're going to talk about some recently watched which we will either mildly or not spoil and we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song intro creature features at the top of the show. You can buy their music digitally on Amazon or Apple slash iTunes, whatever the hell they call it now. Um, if you can even buy it there, I should probably look that up. Uh, but they're an awesome uh, spooky surf rock band that loves the stuff we love. And um, if you want to uh, support us in a small way, you could go to the Screen Monsters Etsy shop and that screen as in movie screen monsters as in monsters and get our plan nine from outer space coloring book. You can go to plan nine coloring and it'll click through to Etsy anyway. <laughs> so you'll get the same results, but you can buy our coloring book and it's awesome. Um, I can say it's awesome three quarters because of you guys. <laughs> and, Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Look- we, we all did most, most of it. Yeah, I mean, I cleaned up his drawings and fattened some lines up, yeah. and that took some time. You worked on him for quite a bit. I did, but... I looked again for that missing picture. <laughs> I'm, I'm going through some stuff and throwing out scrap paper and whatnot, and like, if I find that picture, I'm going to be so mad. It'll be in the second edition, the second printing. Yeah. But uh, it's a really great coloring book. A lot of people who have gotten it have been very happy with it. We're closing in on break even for the printing costs, so everything after that's just going to be like, uh, get paid and um, be happy with a little trickle of money coming in. Um, oh, I can re- I can refuel my yacht at last. Yes. Hey, there's another. Which one? There's another Jolian with the same last. I've got, I've got one on each coast. So I can't be bothered sailing all around, you know. So you're yeah. bi- you're by coast. One on each side. The other guy with your exact same name makes yacht furniture, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exact same name, same country, roughly the same age. He was the smart one. Went into custom furniture <laughs> yachts. Very Wow. <laughs> you know yeah. what? I, f- I feel like a fool for thinking that that any any choices I made were going to be, like, able to make money at all. Oh, God. Uh-huh. You know, it's like... Oh, you should just become a banker. Fuck everything. Become a banker. You know? Why not? Yeah, when, when people say, you know, uh, I look back at my life and I think, well, I have no regrets. I wouldn't change a thing. I think you just smug the jerk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, you didn't make any mistakes in your career choices, dick. <laughs> um, we're not professional critics. Is that obvious yet? 
Oh, so it's June. Dads and grads. Well, at least the dads don't have to just stick a sign in the yard. They can still just be a dad. Um, the grads, poor kids. Um, I feel kind of sad for them, but um, uh, this is the month that has Father's Day in it. And uh, we decided The Stepfather would be a fun movie to talk about. And um, if anybody watched Lost, uh, Terry O'Quinn was in that and he most of the people who watched lost probably had seen the stepfather and said hey there's the guy from the stepfather where's his hair <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> that was kind of that but um recently watched is probably more important Jolien, do you want to do the recently watched first uh all right uh so i think most of well we've got three things here we finished watching uh saint Seiya, which is the anime series uh, they've got the whole thing on Netflix if you want to spend a couple of weeks watching mythical uh, fighting story. Uh, so it ended at uh, episode 114. Um, wow. This is a manga which ran in the late 80s and the, the anime was roughly about the same time. Um, they didn't do the entirety of the manga in that initial series, but uh, they went back and did some uh, special direct-to-video films and, and finished it off later. But anyway, the, all the initial 114 episodes are up on Netflix and it's great. Love oh, it. Great awesome. soundtrack. I um, also watched... Uh, all right, so I've watched a few films in the early hours when I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and, and a great one for that is, uh, is this uh, movie called Successive Slidings of Pleasure. <laughs> okay. What's that? AKA progressive slidings towards pleasure. Uh, this is a French movie originally called Glissement Progressif du Plaisir from 1974. And this is uh, this is by Alan Rob Grillet. He co-wrote uh, Last Year at Marienbad. You heard of that one? No. Rene? No. It's just one of the classic, if you think of what art house movies are like, yeah. this is like classic it's so good it's like uh yeah you, you don't know what's going on it's very uh, ambiguous and there's all these time jumps and it doesn't tell you what's going on so like uh, self so like godard and um Truffaut, those are like the mainstream oh, yeah, yeah. guys yeah and this is the off the path guy no no he this was pretty successful uh okay yeah I, I, no he did um yeah it's, it's good you know uh I like it a lot. Um, it's got a Hitchcock cameo in there. Nice. Wow. It's, it's really good looking. And uh, yeah, Alan Renee also did uh, Je t'aime, Je t'aime and uh, a few others I can't, I'm blanking on right now. But uh, yeah, I, I, I always like his films. Anyway, uh, Alan Rob Grillet also, he's famous for directing uh, Trans-Europe Express. Okay. And um, uh, so this is, so this is really like a, it, it seems like a cliche art house movie with like glum French people staring off in different directions. <laughs> a lot of cigarettes. Yeah. Um, and looking into camera and stuff like that. Um, but it's also, uh, it's kind of an art house, women in prison, non-sploitation, uh, giallo. Uh, if you watched, uh, you know, Jean Rilla, uh -huh. did all those vampire movies about, like lesbian vampires wandering around old houses in France yeah. in their bare at night, looking very cold. Um, 
it, it's really similar. It, well, it reminded me because I'm I'm a nerd of uh, genre lanfions because it's got again northwest France coastline, which is where Rob Grillet comes from. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, lesbian scenes in it. Uh, women walking around, they're nude more often than not. Okay. So this this stars uh, Anissi Avina as uh, Alice and uh, Olga Georges Picard as a roommate slash lawyer. She's two different people in the movie. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, doubling is, uh, if you've, uh, this is quite common in uh, like the, uh, the novels that Rob Grillet wrote. Um uh, Michel Lonsdale, uh, you'll recognize him because he's been in, uh, he was in Day of the Jackals, Inspector. Uh, he was in Moonraker as the, the villain. Oh, okay. Um, the Bride Wall Black, that's a good one. Um, one. Yeah. Um, Jean Louis Trintignant as, uh, as a t- detective, he's in lots of uh, Rob Grillet's movies. And uh, early appearance by Isabella Hubber who was in uh, Heaven's Gate and Piano Teacher and uh, Elle just recently. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I thought it was, it was really interesting. It, it's like uh, you, you watch a lot of Euro horror and it's, there's a lot of intermeshing with uh, art house films in Europe. It's not, it's not really, a, there's no definite line between them like there yeah. is in countries. But this checks um, all the boxes, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Like everything I mean, you, you want. Work- yeah, <laughs> even exploitation um, for fuck's sake! Wow. Yeah, if you want to watch, if you're you're happy to just watch naked French women and not know you know what what's going on, then it's a movie for you. Um, good. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the, you know the uh, great European directors like Fritz Lang, um, you know, in the twenties. He was doing like Metropolis and uh, uh, the Spiders and and the, the German all great movies. Yeah, the Expressionists. Doctor Mabuse. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Mabuse and all those films. Yeah. Um, so he he was perfecting the uh, uh, cinema, making itself invisible. Mm-hmm. So that you know you're watching something which has got editing and frames and. Uh, you know, it's disjointed, but he was able to develop the language of cinema so that the audience forgets that they're watching something artificial and they just follow the story as if it's a continuous timeline. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then you have the new wave directors in the 50s and 60s who, who reversed that and they were constantly reminding you that you're watching something artificial. Right. And, uh, uh, but the, uh, I think I'm, I'm probably saying the wrong thing, speaking for them, but uh, I think the idea was, uh, you're reminding people that the stories they're watching, not just films, but every story they're being told are artificial. And if you know that they're artificial, you can deconstruct them and, uh, make your own story. You're not at the mercy of an authority, a director, whoever. So, uh, yeah, that's where you get all these people looking into camera and uh, reminding you that what you're seeing is a constructed thing. Yeah. So you can apply right. it to your own life and your own sensibilities. 
yeah, yeah. It, you, you can take what you want from it. It's not. It's not being. Not Almost being, like it's art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then you also have uh, like a neuro horror. Uh, Mario Bava is like the you know the the god of euro horror, and uh, he used uh, what Rob Riley called uh, in his novels. He called them uh, generators, which is uh, you have common plot devices uh, which tell the audience what sort of story they're seeing and uh, uh, but in, in Europe um, having given them these generators so that they have this the idea of the story in their heads the director can then depart from a logical story so you so like a, for example in an American mystery uh, you're fed information and the plot develops and there's a conclusion and you know who did it and uh, it kind of all makes sense. Yeah. In a giallo, it doesn't really make that much sense, <laughs> but you don't really care because that's not what it's about. It's you're being told, well, this is a mystery. There's certain things that cue you to it, like, you know, black gloves, a knife. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you know what kind of thing you're in, but then you're just it, you're just absorbing the visual, uh, you know, the cinema. It, you know, it, it doesn't make sense, but you don't care that much. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. How it crossed over. Um. And it's also uh, these these art movies tend to get lumped together by the Catholic Church and whoever's guarding our morals. Huh. Europe. Uh, so, like, uh, at one point, like, Louis Bunuel and Jess Franco were the church's, uh, that's what the church said, were the two most dangerous directors. Of course. Oh. Um, you know, they just didn't distinguish that, that there was any context or value in it, or, you know, artistic value at all. Um, and it's also interesting in... Uh, the exploitation crossover because uh, this came out in 1974 and that was the year that Emmanuel came out. Right. Emmanuel is, as far as I know, to this day, still the highest grossing French film ever made. Wow. Um, and uh, it really opened up, um, if I might use that phrase, uh, uh. pornographic cinema being like big box office. Right in in Europe, uh, so uh, so at this point in in Europe, hardcore cinema was mainstream. Uh, you know, uh, German films were heavily pornographic. Um, you know, I mean, uh, this doesn't get talked about much in respectable reference books, but uh, you know, <laughs> pornography was a big thing at, at this point. Um, so you had to. Art house directors like uh, Rob Grillet and uh, Valerian Brauchik. He came out with um, Immoral Tales, and he he did his own exploitation film called uh, Behind Convent Walls. Uh, <laughs> another one with it was like a, it's a period film about nuns, but they've all got access to a, a full makeup kit, you know. Oh, right. And uh, and this film, uh, Successive Slidings of the Pleasure, was was. Uh, brought up in court and uh, the uh, magistrate said the film didn't make any sense and therefore couldn't be a work of art. 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a prerequisite now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because at at the time, you could get away with certain things in in uh, in various European countries. If it was considered a work of art, you could go further than uh, what was considered just basic exploitation. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so these art movies are actually making making money. Um, and, and you think about the uh, the history of the art film when it was popular. It wasn't popular because uh, mass audiences suddenly got into intellectual. Yeah, no. It got popular because there was Brigitte Bardot off, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that was that one. Um, you get the right then, person uh, taking their clothes off. Yeah, it's going to draw some attention and popularity. Right. Uh, and the other movie I watched was uh, Beyond Atlantis from 1972. This is one of those Filipino Eddie Romero movies, uh, co-produced with uh, John Ashley. You know what those? Like the, the Blood Island series and things like that. I'm not familiar. Um, Mad Doctor of Blood Island. <laughs> I want to watch it, though. <laughs> Doesn't strike a chord. Anyway, anyway Filipino horror movies. Uh, they all had uh, Vic Diaz in them. Um, this is from a Stephanie Rothman story. Uh, this stars uh, Patrick Wayne, Lenore Stevens, Lee Christian, John Ashley, Sid Haig, uh, Vic Diaz, as mentioned, and uh, George Nader, who was the star of Robot Monster. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> mm. uh, so Patrick Wayne, son of John. I was just uh, going to ask you, are you talking about the same talentless son of John Wayne? He's, re- he's, uh, he's very good-looking... And uh, he can act. He's just not exciting. He's kind of stiff. He's stiff. I shouldn't say talentless. Yeah. He's just stiff. Maybe he never got the right role. I mean, he's if uh, he's in uh, Sinbad and You Are the Tiger. Okay. You know, he makes a very he makes a good looking hero. He's just not that interesting. Yeah, he was handsome. He was just <laughs> not interesting. <laughs> uh, so, so Patrick Wayne insisted it be family friendly, which is something they weren't used to doing. Um, but even so, there's still like cockfighting and uh, a couple of guys get a, a spear through them. Um, so this is like a throwback to those White Jungle Goddess films of the early part of the 20th century. Um, they, there's a bunch of, uh, bunch of ne'er-do-wells and, uh, and a sexy archaeologist uh, go off to this island where they hear there's a bunch of pearls which are being uh, guarded by this uh, lost tribe. Um, and uh, everyone in the tribe, apart from the, the old chieftain, who's George Nader, and uh, his daughter, who's equally uh, Christian, uh, are, uh, the, the <laughs> for some reason, they have these huge bug eyes stuck onto them. I don't know why they don't explain it in the film. They just say like, "Oh, it might be a genetic mutation or something." We don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Atlantis comes into it at some point, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, kind of a, it's it's good looking. It's it's well filmed and, and pretty, and there's there's tons of scenes of them swimming around in the coral, which is pleasant to watch, and you know, at three in the morning, but and and get you back to sleep again. But <laughs> it doesn't really contribute to the story at all. <laughs> No, it's fine. They're, they're looking for pearls, you know. It just goes on for quite a bit. Oh, okay. Um, some people get killed underwater, but um, it's kind of like the driving it's... scenes in uh, Manos Hands of Fate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but 
much more pretty to look at. Okay, that's fair. So uh, I'm not saying it's exciting, but I watched it at three in the morning and it helped me get back to sleep. So there Thank you go. <laughs> so that that's your recently watched? Yes. Hey, how about Are you, you Will? Right oh, you want me to oh, go next? You want me to go? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, well, we, um, I think, Will, you and I both said that we had put uh, Planet of the Vampires, the 1965 mm. movie, into our queue. Um, maybe you didn't say that, but I did. Uh, I did. Okay. <laughs> I did watch it. Um, to be quite honest with you both, I background watched it while I was working on some other things, and I do plan to rewatch it. It was one of those where it's like, if that hits kind of that, that, um, all those notes of like what I want from a vintage sci-fi movie, I'll just watch it again and actually pay better attention to it. But this yeah, is, we should do it one day. Yeah, we should, because this one is super interesting. This is a 1965 Italian science fiction horror movie, which there's not a lot of those. There's a handful of them, but this is uh, Mario Bava directing a movie Ooh. that, uh, yeah, th- th- it's a Bava film. Uh, that's a, a space, it's a sci- sci-fi horror movie. <clears throat> so it was originally called um, uh, Terrore Nello Spazio, uh, or Terror in Space. But Planet of the Vampires was the Americanized uh, name for it. And um, this is about um, two big ships on an expedition into uncharted space, and they get a distress signal emanating from uh, an unexplored planet. And um, they're going to go check it out. Now, we've gotten this later on, uh, this distress signal thing in a handful of important movies. And um, it's kind of cool to kind of trace it back to where, well, where did this start? And I think it was this movie. Um, But um, some of the... uh, some Some of the other themes where you, like... A landing a landing team shows up to check stuff out, and they find um, they find crew members dead, and then uh, well, the corpses end up walking later. And I don't want to spoil too much because we promise not to. But uh, let's just say some people who are supposed to be dead later on are not. And uh, the name Planet of the Vampire should give away something that was implied with the Americanized version of it. But uh, there's probably some subtleties in the the original script that maybe are missed will it's 88 minutes long. So it's perfect. It's it's under the bar on prime or something. Uh, it was on prime. Okay, good. So Amazon prime has it for no additional charge. And, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, uh, again, I promise to mildly or not spoil recently watched, but I will say if you feel like some 1960s sci-fi, and you feel like some uh, 1960s foreign films, that's pretty good, like, go-to for that sort of thing, because it's Bava, for fuck's sake. I mean, what do you want? I decided that it, that I remembered nothing about, almost nothing about Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. I bought the disc, like, either got it from you, Jolien, or I bought it at one of the used places that closed up three years ago. And, uh, I decided to watch Halloween for the return of Michael Myers, knowing that, um, I didn't remember much about it, but Donald Pleasance made his comeback. Uh, 
everything's explained with these burn scars on my face. You know, it's like, all right, acceptable. Uh, Alan Howarth did the music again. Uh, so everything's looking pretty good. Uh, I'm thinking, well, this probably sucked. So I'm just going to watch it and expect it to maybe kind of suck. Well, it's 10 years after the original movie and it's actually pretty good. Uh, I don't know who all would agree with me on that, but, um, I expect it to be kind of terrible. I liked Halloween a lot. I liked Halloween two more than maybe I should have. Halloween three startled me with its no connection whatsoever to Michael Myers. And, uh, when I went and saw it, I was like, okay, but, but all right. Um, can we have Michael Myers back? Well, this isn't the worst way to bring him back. And, um, I really, I really did like how, uh, even though some of the key people are missing in making this movie, they seem to care enough about it to make it fit into the story. I don't remember what happened with Halloween five, but I'm going to watch that next. I was just going to (laughs) say, does it all fall apart? Uh, I bet that's possible. Ooh, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Despite having Paul Rudd in it. Isn't that H2O you're thinking of? No, I'm pretty sure he's in five. Is he in five? Okay. Uh, it's like I said, it's right up behind my head. I could probably pull it down and read the back of the Yeah. That, that one you can you can hear it hitting the bottom of the barrel. Oh god. Ooh, yeah. It's the, terrible. The race to the yeah, bottom. I watched it a few years ago after we watched one of the uh Rob Zombie ones. And you're like, uh, oh, God, Rob Zombie, you're a genius. This was brilliant what you did. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, in comparison. <laughs> I don't even remember anything about it other than Paul Rudd being in it. <laughs> I, I remember watching Five when it came out and uh, thinking it was the worst movie I'd ever seen. Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of movies which have, like, no budget at all, which are which are bad, but this one doesn't have that excuse. No, what the yeah. hell? Uh, wow, how, take that franchise and make this. Right. Just... How could it take so many wrong turns? What the hell? It seems... Yeah, like... You hire some good writers, you look at their stuff carefully, you get some really competent people making the, you know, physically making the film... You know, can't you afford Dean Kundi or somebody? No? Okay. Uh, get somebody uh, comparable in, in talent. No? Okay. So with Halloween 2 and 4, they did the Joe Bob Briggs sequel method of just make the same film. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, they were, they were fun. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, 5 is... Oh, uh, yeah, I, I remembered thinking that this might be that horrible one. No, that's 5. Good. I get to watch this and actually have a good time. Um, you still have five to watch. Oh God. It's just hanging there. <laughs> the, the sword of Damocles just dangling <laughs> behind me waiting to suck. <laughs> so then I decided that it had been way too long. Speaking of Rob zombie, it had been way too long since I had given uh, house of a thousand corpses a look. And I started that, and quite honestly didn't get through it yet because I started it pretty late, but, um, really digging the rewatch on this. I mean, knowing that he was a first time director, even if he had, you know, maybe done some 
student stuff or some shorts or something. I don't know. Uh, I have very little knowledge of what he did before this movie, but uh, Rob Zombie did direct this, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. It was all I mean, downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think he saved up all his good ideas and gimmicks and stuff, and uh, used them on the first movie. And, yeah, and then uh, you know, but uh, for people, has who, he got back to you about uh, remaking Race with the Devil? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> We keep saying that out loud in front of microphones and someone's going to steal yeah, the idea. It's going to happen. You know, but we, uh, we are powerful voices. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, we're going to turn down a side road in a second about that. But uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is a 2003 film uh, uh, written, co-scored and directed by Rob Zombie. Uh, this was his uh, debut. Um he was certainly inspired by Hills Have Eyes and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just generally the Manson family. Um, it's so worth a rewatch, I think. Um, don't expect it to be like this super uh, high-end thing. It's just fun more than anything. Uh, Did you go and see it uh, theatrically? Um, I don't remember if I saw it theatrically or if I got it like as soon as it was released on DVD. Uh, where I was at at the time was Spokane, Washington, and uh, I don't know if it would have really, if any of the local cinemas would have carried it, uh, but I do know that Lionsgate had a lot of influence at the time, so I might have seen it theatrically. I feel like it was a DVD thing, though, and uh, it's 88 minutes, Will. 88 <laughs> minutes. Make it about anything you yeah. want. It made money. It's two minutes. It made almost ten million bucks at the box office. On top of so that, the, that's a, that, that's our second Sid Haig movie of the of the day. Yeah, though, yeah. Talking about Sid Haig, he's awesome. Like as soon as he's on yeah. camera, he owns this movie. Right. When he puts his hands up, when those guys are trying to rob the gas station slash fried chicken restaurant slash uh, spook house ride that he that he runs. When he sticks his hands up uh, with the guys holding the guns on him, he's got his middle fingers up. <laughs> he, he's so defiant and, and so rude to those guys. It's yeah. it's just beautiful. Um, I, I remember seeing this in uh, that bit where the, uh, I think it's the policeman, uh, is about to get shot and the camera's just pulling back and back and back and back. And the, the audience was going crazy. <laughs> Oh man, there's a lot there for just like the rowdy audience that's ready for this. You know, there's mm -hmm. everything oh. they want is just laying in wait for them, you know. Um, and to turn down the side road of like how influential we are, I really, I really do want to say big shout out to whoever our listener or listeners in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio are. Because we had a bunch of listens over the last week. Um, we always have listens in Denver cause people know us here, but you know, Denver and Littleton, but we got people in Riverside, California, Ogden, Utah, um, uh, Belleville, uh, Michigan, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, Lakeside, California, Lakeside and Riverside, um, Wendell, North Carolina, Kansas city, Missouri. We got all these listeners and it's like, this is really super cool. Uh, those are some of the main cities that have been listening to us, but countries that have been listening, um, 
Lately, we've had a lot of listeners in the U.S., but we've still got listeners in the U.K., Canada, Brazil, <laughs> Russia, Israel, and Mexico. So, hi, everybody. I just wanted to hey. take, take a second to say that. Um, so, the other one that I watched, uh, Jolie and I made a big point to borrow this from you when uh, we realized that I hadn't asked you if you had a copy of it. Lifeboat. Uh, this is an Alfred Hitchcock directed film based on a John Steinbeck book. Um, uh, the Pearl. Is that what it's called? Oh. <laughs> so anyway, Lifeboat is... Uh, tortilla Flats. Tortilla Flats. <laughs> um, this was one where Hitchcock uh, was at the helm and he was going to do it his way as he would do, being the auteur. Um, well, he didn't write it, but you know, he's, he's the, he's in charge anyway. Uh, but Hitchcock was, uh, was deciding how to handle this material and, uh, the casting was really good. I think they had a couple of switch ups because of illness. Like there were people who got sick during the filming, but, um, it's about a cast of characters who, after a ship gets sunk by a German U-boat, um, a bunch of people make their way to a lifeboat that you initially see a well-to-do uh, writer-slash-reporter woman uh, who's already in it. Um, she's joined by a whole bunch of people, including a German guy who uh, apparently was was um, too sympathetic for a lot of the audience uh, at first. <laughs> but uh, this is one of those movies where it's kind of like... Um, like a uh, hour and a half long ish. It was 96 minutes, but uh, it, it was uh, a movie where you've got a cast of characters, much like a long form episode of the twilight zone. They're, they're in one setting, one set, uh, one situation. And what all happens, what, what unfolds when all these people who are together on a lifeboat are trying to survive and make their way to hopefully a rescue point. And uh, I hadn't seen this in probably 20 years, and it was awesome to rewatch it. And I remember thinking, is this one of those movies where Hitchcock didn't, did he not do a, a cameo? And of course, he's in the weight loss ad on the back of a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With, with his before and after big belly picture. But uh, Tallulah Bankhead is just brilliant in this. Um, you know, uh, the, the war wasn't even really over yet when this was made, if I'm remembering right. Uh, this was like during World War II. But, uh, yeah, some of the critics complained that the German character was too sympathetic. And of course, like with any good suspense movie, you're wondering when the other characters are going to notice what you're seeing. And then when they finally do, all hell could break loose but they hold back all hell breaks loose later. Um, again, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but, um, but the things don't end well for one or more of the characters. And, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> at the very end of it, you're, you're wondering like, are they going to get rescued? And the, the question seems to be vaguely answered. Like maybe, maybe they will, but we're not sure. 
so it's it's a great watch. Um, I think considering that it was from the time it was from, um, there was a lot of a lot of material that was probably a little edgy for its time, and that was probably Hitchcock's way. You know, you could imply. Yeah, he liked to he liked, he liked to push it. Yeah, and he did, and that was cool. Mm-hmm. So I, I would recommend this for anyone who who likes Hitchcock or who just enjoys a good dramatic movie that is also suspenseful. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say, you know, Tallulah Bankhead carries this one. She is just beautiful and, yeah. and, and hilarious and cool throughout the whole thing. But, uh, you know, for the most part, a really good looking cast and, and very uh, capable actors. And man, I don't know if Alfred Hitchcock made anything that wasn't brilliant. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, some early stuff, some of the silent stuff was probably a little clunky cause it was early. Yeah. I've not seen all of those cause a couple of them are, are lost. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like all of those. Um, yeah, Jamaica Inn, I'm not very keen on. Mm, haven't but, seen that one. I've not seen me. that one. But, you know... I think I've seen all his, quote, talkies. Yeah, his talkies. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen all those. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he did a really... Uh, and apparently Lifeboat was going to... Um, was going to be a, a Technicolor film, but then they decided to go black and white. I don't know whose decision it was, but um, Hitchcock was really cool, like progressive thinking guy to say, yeah, let's do my stuff Technicolor. You know, not just color, but super saturated, crazy looking Technicolor. Like for him to say, I know everything I need to know about black and white. Let's go nuts on this new thing. I mean, that's great. So... You know, props to Hitchcock, although he may have been a terrible person in some other ways in his life. I, I, I wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> but Yeah, he, he was always up for the latest technology, um, the latest cameras. Yeah. Being able to move cameras and, you know, he got into 3D. Yeah. You know, he was always up for whatever was, was new technology, technologically. Yeah. And uh, pushing the limits of what was available, like what was it? Uh, a reel of film was something like 23 minutes or something when he did rope and he would just, he wanted it to be a oneer, And uh, so he would just pan the camera behind a post or someone's back, pause, reload, keep it, keep it panning, edit the frames out that would, you know, make it fluid. And yeah. you're watching a oneer, and you don't know why, this is even able to happen. And he's just like, here's the limits. Here's my workaround. So brilliant guy. And, uh, I don't think anyone who knows anything about movies would argue that Hitchcock was brilliant, but, um, that was, uh, yeah, that was my recently watched and, uh, you know, ended on a good note. Hitchcock (laughs) for the win. Hitchcock for the win. (laughs) Yeah. Can't get better. Yeah. Uh, I didn't watch much this week. Um, I finished up 1015. Uh, excellent. I really enjoyed it. Um, a couple more episodes of Rami. Also pretty good. Um, didn't get a chance to watch The Stepfather because I had a power outage last night. We didn't have power from about 
four o'clock yesterday afternoon to whenever. Because um, oh, uh, of the hurricane today, I guess. Because, yeah. Yeah. Oh God! No kidding. <laughs> it was horrible. Well, Listeners. Yeah, I guess the power line fell and hit my neighbor's car. Oh. Uh, for listeners who aren't familiar, um, we had essentially a tornado weather minus the tornado here in Denver just last night. Yeah. And uh, it the the uh, the patio looked like a yard sale. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have much debris blowing down your street? No, yeah. we we were pretty lucky. Yeah. No, no. It got really strong. Yeah, but not as bad as last night. Yeah, there were there were branches like blocks from the trees they belonged to. So that was kind of crazy. At one point, a big dark shadow went over the house, and I don't know what it was. <laughs> but wow! <laughs> but it kept going. I mean, it was like like Pteranodon went over the house. Well, not even a Pteranodon. Like like fucking Rodan went over the house. Not the sculptor. The 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 Japanese bird monster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I ran outside to see, like, was it a tarp or part of someone's roof? I don't know what it was, but something blacked out the light for a second. Wow. Was it a Kansas farmhouse? I kind of thought about that, too. Like, it's, some witch is going to die over this. Which lives matter? <laughs> so, so, Will, you had no power until today. Yeah. Oh, shit. Wow. So, you're going to have to go on your uh, memory of the stepfather. Or did, I know. <laughs> which was probably a while back. I watched it, I think, Jolien found some Terry O'Quinn movie on YouTube. Yeah. It took place in Denver. Yeah. Uh, I watched that, and I believe after that, I watched The Stepfather because it was the same guy. So yeah. Not. Uh, and I want to say I watched the remake, too, though I have no memory of it other than it being pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, the, the Denver one is uh, called uh, The Forgotten One. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, you could you could drive right up to that house. Uh, it's just off a. Of yeah, I went and looked at it. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so uh, so you didn't get to watch this, but uh, you did see it in recent years, the last couple of years. Um, yeah. Should we first talk about how disappointing the finale of Lost was? <laughs> Should we just no. Get, no? Okay. To get that out of the way, for listeners who've not watched Lost, uh stop at no. a certain certain point and don't watch the ending. You'll be happier. You just just don't watch it at all. <laughs> if you watch I watched the pilot I watched the pilot and enjoyed it, but then I, at the end of it I said, Oh this is what's gonna happen and lo and behold that's what happens. But I, I didn't waste yeah, all my pretty time much. watching the rest of it. <laughs> well, at least you had some foresight. Um, I foolishly plowed through the whole thing and got to the ending and went, really, this is what you're going to do? Okay. 
This is why Just fan. What they said they wouldn't do. Right. This is why. Fan, yeah, yeah. Why fan like, fiction no, exists? Yeah. Yeah. The very reason yeah, for fan fiction. I remember that they they denied it up and down. Yeah. Yeah. What you thought was going to happen will happen, and it happened. Maybe once that idea was put in their heads, they couldn't think of anything else, and they're like, um. Uh, okay, we'll just okay. We'll end up doing that. Oh God! So um, this movie starts with a cold open, which doesn't always work. And by the way, um, so did Lifeboat. Lifeboat was a cold open. Mm-hmm. There's a, a rich-looking woman in a lifeboat. Well, in this case, yeah. in this case, there's a uh, a uh, slightly hippie-ish-looking guy. And something's real wrong. He's covered with blood and he's cleaning himself up and walking through the house and tidying up as he goes because he can't stand the disarray of stuff. And you see a slaughtered family and um, he's cleaned himself up, changed his appearance, left the house all tidy. Look, He's all tidy looking and ready to go. And he's whistling Camp Town Races. Mm-hmm. And uh, heads down the street, and you could tell that he just walked away, without burning the house down. He walked away, and he's <laughs> he's gonna go start over. Yeah. Doesn't even destroy the the photos on the wall. He doesn't burn the house down. He just leaves. He's that confident <clears throat> about what he's doing. And uh, you get the idea that okay, he's starting over but then you find out that he's already started over and this guy is sort of inserted himself into a new family uh family arrangement where there's a uh, recently dead father slash husband and he's the stepfather and then we go forward with the story from there Julian, when's the last time you saw this or was this the first uh, I, I watched it again today, but um, yeah, I saw it back in the nineties, I think. Yeah, this was an eighty-seven movie. Yeah, yeah, I saw it on video, I think. And will get this eighty-nine minutes long. Oh, hi. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Jolien, what was the first thing that stood out to you about the movie when you were rewatching it? Uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, I was surprised how good it was because this is like a terrible period for American horror movies. Yep. Yeah. How, um, how good it looked, though. Yeah, this one's really good looking. Um, especially now, it looks better than it did on video. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, it's well shot. Uh, I wish the soundtrack was better. Uh, if it had a good uh, orchestral soundtrack, it'd really elevate it. But obviously, it was beyond their budget. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's a good cast. Uh, I don't find it particularly scary. I mean, like, at all. No. I was m- more worried about the dog than anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever a horror movie introduces a dog, you know, that's... Yeah. Probably not going to make it past Act 2. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good-looking, well-done movie. You know, when, when I'm watching this thing, remembering what the character did and what the movie was kind of focused on and what the storyline was, it's all vague memory because 
I probably saw it when it came out and then maybe again four or five years later or whatever. Uh, Rewatching it, I'm looking at it going, all right, this looks really good. So I pull up the cinematographer's bio and to give you an idea of what else he's done, The Serpent and the Rainbow, um, Sleeping with the Enemy, um, Money Train, Pleasantville, uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of movies, but, um, Bewitched, this guy has been, he's been behind the, the lens on a lot of stuff that looked really fluid and really good. And, uh, uh, Michael, that one that was about, uh, John Travolta as an angel or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but these movies that he did, the good son, the good son was a very good looking movie. He did that one too. Um, but John Lindley, the cinematographer, really good work. And, uh, you know, like he even did, you've got mail, (laughs) but, uh, I look at more, more things like field of dreams and Pleasantville as like these really kind of lucid, uh, just really great looking films. And you could tell he brought his a game to the stepfather. He wasn't just like, ah, you know, some actor that was in some soap opera and he's going to play this guy, whatever, you know, he doesn't just phone it in. You could tell he put his good work into this. So that was pretty cool. Like if nothing else, if this story totally sucked, which it didn't ask a lot of the viewer, to be honest with you, but if the story did totally suck, at least it was gorgeous throughout. And uh, it took place in Seattle. I don't know. I didn't really look to see if they filmed it mostly. No, they filmed it Filmed it in Vancouver. I was just going to say, did they film all of it in Vancouver except for the establishing Seattle shots? There were like maybe two exterior shots where it was like, here's some building that belongs to Seattle. Okay. <laughs> so without looking, yes, suspicion confirmed. It was Vancouver. <laughs> there was a, a unit that landed in Seattle, ran to their location shot the exteriors and got back on the plane before it left yeah that's probably what happened um there was a song that i thought sounded like pat benatar but i'd never heard it before (laughs) turns out it was pat benatar right (laughs) it was run between the raindrops that was just like a real like album cut or written for the movie kind of thing. But uh, basically their money was spent on um, the Divinals and uh, Pat Benatar. Uh, they did want to use uh, uh, The Way We Were for the song he's whistling. Uh-huh. But they couldn't afford the rights, so that's why he's, he's whistling a public domain tune. Yeah. Yeah, and it's almost kind of better that it's uh, Camp Town Races because it's like such an old fashion thing and every time he makes reference to anything he re- he mentions Rin Tin Tin and he's watching Mr. Ed and you could tell like he's just really stuck in the past and he's got this ideal in his mind this and he mentions father knows best and i don't remember if they showed any clips of it but he really wants something that never really existed in the first place but is right. certainly gone now in 1987 <laughs> There's a reference to Ward Cleaver. Yeah. Uh, which I had to ask Emily about because I didn't know who he was. Oh, you'd never uh, watched Leave it to Beaver? No. Okay. Well. Wasn't a thing in Britain. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was 
pretty common in reruns here. Yeah, it was just. Uh, Is that that's uh, Ron Howard, right? No, no, um, no that was that was. Uh, um, well, Jerry were, Mathers. Jerry Mathers, yeah. Uh, the th- Mathers, yeah. Yeah, Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow were the two brothers in the show. Um, okay. But, Hugh Beaumont with Ward Cleaver. Yeah, and Barbara Billingsley was the mom. God damn it, we yeah. remember all their names. <laughs> Um, oh, uh, Ron Harrow was in uh, Andy Griffith, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I, was, I was trying to remember the other Andy Griffith show. It was called Mayberry RFD. So there was the Andy Griffith show and Mayberry RFD. They were both the same characters. I don't know why they switched the name on it, but uh, yeah, Ron Howard, um, man, I don't know how that roll of the dice happens genetically, but relatively normal looking dude. Uh, Clint Howard. Holy shit. So peculiar looking. But, you know, he's a cool guy and he's in every movie, so whatever. Um, But yeah, this this one was uh, about a guy who's basically, uh, whatever his troubled childhood or his troubled um, early life was, he just wants the ideal family. And when he tries to start that ideal family and it disappoints him and it doesn't happen. He murders them all and moves on, changes his identity and starts over. Um, we meet, uh, the brother of a recently slain family uh, of, of the woman from the recently slain family. And he's on the case. He's trying to get the, um, reporters and the police to look at, well, if this guy did this, he was clearly ready to start his new life. He would have been um, setting up his next one within a radius that was drivable in a workday because he was pretending to still go to his job, but he was clearly setting up his next job at his next family and his next life. So we've got the protagonist's uh, brother of a recently dead character we don't really meet and... Um, and uh, this is going to bring the danger down on uh, the uh, the antihero of Terry Quinn's character. And uh, what is his name? Uh, Jerry. Uh, Jerry Blake. Blake? <laughs> Jerry O'Quinn. He can't remember another last name. <laughs> no, Jerry Blake. I think it's Blake because it's because <laughs> it's Blake Realty. All right, Jerry Blake. Blank stare from him. I mean, Jerry O'Quinn. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry O'Blake Quinn. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Barry O'Terry. Um, so <laughs> he's, uh, he's become a realtor. He's sort of a chameleon. He's like a catch me if you can kind of a dude. Like uh, Frank Abagnale who wrote catch me if you can. He's like, yeah, the, yeah he's the great pretender. He could be anything. And, uh, he, he went from, in, uh, what was he, tr- he was setting up, I don't know what he was in his previous life, but in this one, he's a realtor, but when he goes to start setting up his next life, he's going to become an insurance salesman. So he's in sales basically. Yeah. Um, brings home a puppy for his, uh, teenage daughter who, um, God. Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie. Uh, 
the young lady was a Uh-oh, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> if the name is Stephanie, beware. No, I meant watch out puppy. Oh yeah. The puppy doesn't die, does it? No. I don't remember it dying. No, he, he cradles it holding a knife and you're really worried. But yeah. then uh, the puppy runs off to uh, when uh, Stephanie comes in, I think. Okay. And you, you, again. That's what happened. Um, this uh, this young lady was in... Uh, oh, this is kind of troubling. She was in Annie Hall. So when she was really young, she was around uh, the king, king pervert himself. But... Uh, Let's see, she was in Troll. Diane Keaton? Yeah. <laughs> the notorious Diane Keaton. Um, I heard she went to an island once. <laughs> Have you watched that yet? No, I'm not going to watch that. You're not going to watch Jeffrey Epstein, Pedophile at Large, or whatever the fuck it was called? Yeah, no, I'm probably going to miss that one. You know, yeah. This I think you ought to write it. <laughs> Do some fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, she was in uh, choosing cutting class with uh, it's a slasher with uh, Brad Pitt. Oh, nice. And she got she got engaged to it briefly when they were making it. Apparently. Oh. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. And she was in, uh, she was in the Robert England version of uh, the Phantom of the Opera. No kidding. Oh, okay. I've, I have not yet seen. And she's also in uh, Popcorn, which is really good. I don't think I've seen Popcorn yet. I've seen Popcorn. I have seen the Robert England Phantom of the Opera, and I remember it being pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> I've um, not heard much to recommend it, but yeah. uh, someday. <sighs> yeah, so the, so the young lady in this was, um, she was originally a model. And... Uh, she was in a whole mess of movies and some television too, but uh, yeah, every, everyone in this uh, film was in the X Files. Oh yeah, eventually. Yeah, almost everyone in this movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's great. I'm I'm trying to find the one. I'm I'm scrolling through this. Oh, um, the one I wanted to mention that that predates this movie that she was in. Um, Jill Sholin, um, she plays the daughter in this movie. Uh, she she was in DC Cab, so she worked with uh, Mr. T. <laughs> so you got that. Uh, but yeah, you're right. She was in Popcorn and Phantom of the Opera, Cutting Class. Um, but not much else after about um, 2004. Like she got away from movies for a while, at least to present. Um, yeah, the whole cast were all pretty believable, pretty like, you know, red shirts, some of them. Like, uh, the, the mother's played by, uh, Shelley Hack. Yeah. Uh, she was in The Love Boat and Charlie's Angels. Um, uh, she, just before this one, she was in Troll. Oh, yeah, she's from the, 1986. Yeah, she's the one that was in Troll. I was trying to think of which one it was, but yeah, it was her. Um, and she was in this uh, TV movie called uh, Death Car on the Freeway, which I've now got to see. Yeah. <laughs> Death Car on the Freeway, 1979. I'm going to see that one next. 
Oh, that's great. Uh, let's see what, well, yeah, what got her the job on this one was, was either Charlie's angels or death car on the freeway. Yeah. It had to have been one of the two. Yeah. She was, she was one of the angels for about a year. One season. She was actually one of the main cast. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Let's see. Uh, She was Tiffany something. Oh, here it is. Tiffany Wells. There you go. 26 episodes. That was probably one season back then. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, a season of TV would be about 20 episodes-ish. Um, but, yeah, so we've got, uh, yeah, someone who worked with Woody Allen. I was thinking it was the young daughter, but it was actually not. It was the mom. So less problematic. <laughs> but still. Yeah, the thing I found problematic, uh, the creepiest bit in this movie, is uh, watching Jill Sholin take a shower. And she's she was twenty three at the time, but she was playing a sixteen year old. Yeah, I don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, we don't need to be leering at somebody who's underage. But was it so different in nineteen eighty seven? I think maybe maybe it was. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. Um, anyway, yeah. So um, so the movie moves along pretty well. Like you're not left with a whole lot of dull material before it gets on to the next interesting thing. No, it, it pushes it right along. It does. It, it wastes no time getting to its point. Um, we do see the main character um, in the wood shop, which probably belonged to the you know recently deceased husband slash father. Uh, he's making a birdhouse, and there's something disappointing that happens and he kind of freaks out and he's banging tools and screaming and yelling. This is later witnessed by the teenage daughter, even though she's actually 23 or whatever, but, uh, she's, uh, she witnesses, she during a party, like a backyard party. She goes down to get the ice cream out of the freezer in the basement and across the way in the semi unfinished basement, she sees him having a tantrum. He tries to explain it away, but she's looking at him like, no, you're kind of a nut. (laughs) <laughs> and um she's not gonna like him anyway because her dad's dead and this is a like a lousy replacement that her mom's come up with and she's just not happy about it so not a surprise that she gets a clever idea that maybe he's this killer and uh she gets a hold of the seattle newspaper to send a picture yeah so it gets a bit hitchcockian kind of does and the brother is out there looming around trying to get on the case too the brother of the recently murdered uh, woman from the previous family um is it a stranger in the house the with joseph cotton whether the daughter suspects the uh the new guy i think that's the one yeah uh this uh let's see let me find this character here uh, the brother who's out there talking to reporters and police is uh, Jim Ogilvy, and uh, he's played by uh, uh, Stephen or Stefan Shellen, who this guy was in a whole bunch of stuff, did a lot of television. Um, he did, uh, I think it was a movie, Spring Fever, but he did stuff like um, TV appearances. He did The Hitchhiker. Um, Alfred Hitchcock presents, uh, 
let's see, he did, he was in American Gothic, uh, which was a movie, and Casual Sex, question mark, which is a movie. He was in episodes of uh, Tales from the Crypt, 21 Jump Street. Um, oh, he was in The Bodyguard. And, uh, but the bummer is he was in a lot of stuff that was kind of like never really made it. And he seemed like a pretty competent actor and a nice looking dude. He was in like RoboCop the series. And I was looking at that going, oh, wait. Oh, God, that's right. They tried to make a series out of RoboCop. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a great yeah, idea. The, uh, another star of that series, because a lot of these things are shot in Vancouver. So if you think of anything, any Chris Carter series, like a lot of this cast have, have been in those. Uh, the, the, the fellow who plays the policeman that he goes to see. Yeah. Uh, he's played by... Blue Mankuma, who uh, moved to Vancouver, and uh, he was in the Robocop series, and he's also in Robocop 4, um, and, and various other Robocop sequels. Yeah. He's the he's the all-purpose black policeman slash detective in, <laughs> in anything you need him to be in. Just yeah. I don't know what the black population of Vancouver is, but I suspect it's not a big one. One. <laughs> this guy. Um, yeah, so we're looking at, uh, Law and Order, The Outer Limits, uh, uh, La Femme Nikita, the series, um, things like that. So he never made it big, but I thought he did a really nice job in this movie. Um, of course it, it doesn't go well for him later on, but, um, <laughs> uh, the, the psychologist that the young daughter is meeting with because she's, she's being uh, troubled and troublesome in school. So she's seeing a, a counselor, a psychologist. Uh, uh, Jerry doesn't want to meet with this guy. This guy wants to meet with Jerry, but Jerry doesn't want to meet with him. So he decides he's going to stalk him and he's going to go to one of his openings at one of his houses. He's selling. And that goes really well. <laughs> He's asking too many questions. They seem a little too pointed. And Jerry's on to him. And he blurts out that uh, he keeps saying he's a bachelor. And then he blurts out that, oh, yeah, my wife's always on me about that. And then Jerry knows that he's he's uh, working some angle. So he beats him to death with a board, rolls him up in some paper drop cloth takes his body away sets up a fake accident and uh and then uh finds the uh the envelope in the mail and switches the photo so he everything's gonna go just fine for him because he's he even gets his norman rockwell thanksgiving dinner oh that's right <laughs> there's a scene that's almost the exact angle from that norman rockwell painting that's where they're right. like i've got the turkey and Doing a yeah. Stuff. Oh yeah. God. It's quite funny. Yeah, everything is just this. His his wish for the idyllic thing that is never going to happen, <clears throat> and he just well, his way of dealing with it is murder. <laughs> I I thought when I was watching this that you should do a you should print a mug which says "World's Best Stepdad" and have a picture of Terry O'Quinn on it. <laughs> that would be perfect. Yeah, I know some guys who actually do the dice sub mugs. Actually, the one the the one you have, the uh, the Seven Samurai mug. Uh, yeah. Right. And the, 
and you know, I spit in your grave, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Those, <laughs> yeah, world's world's greatest stepfather. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, after um, after a little detective work, uh, the the uh, character Jim Ogilvie, the brother of the recently slain woman, um, figures some stuff out uh, that uh, Jerry is a realtor. And so he's on his case. And um, what does he end up doing to him? Stabbing him? Beating him? Setting him on fire? What, what? Which, which character you took about? The brother. The, that's, that's figured Jerry. Yeah, he, he comes in and the, he races to the house and you think he's going to charge in and save Stephanie. Yeah. He he does charge in, but then um, uh, Jerry's behind the door with a knife, and he just kills him right there. Yeah, stabs him. stabbing. Okay, I was trying to remember what the method was. Yeah, he stabs him, and that's it. He, yeah, he runs in just to die. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, he's a red herring. Totally, he's a, a red shirt herring. Mm-hmm. Um, but um. He, he, but he's terrorizing the daughter and uh, he gets her cornered and then uh, he falls through the floor into the bathroom. And then uh, uh, Susan, yeah, he, he, he corners her up in the attic and he steps on the uh, between the boards where it's not dirty. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Susan ends up shooting him twice, which uh, doesn't seem to stop him. But when he goes to his attack Stephanie, um, he gets stabbed in the chest, and then yeah. he, and then he's his he's like, "I love you." That's his yeah. di- that's his dying words. I, I wonder what was going on with the eagle, because um, he works for at this point he's working for American Eagle Insurance. Yeah, and she is wearing an eagle T-shirt. Oh, and nails him, and he says, "I love you." He's standing in front of a picture of an eagle. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I would. I would like to know, like, what the placement of that would have to do with symbolism or what. That's yeah. Is he is he supposed to be this like parody of the all American dad or yeah? Yeah, yeah. I would think that would have to be somewhere along those lines. Um. Nice fall down the stairs, though. It was believable. It didn't look like the mm-hmm. usual tuck and roll tumble. I mean, it looked pretty good. And uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, Psycho, you know, the, the fall down the staircase. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they did a nice job. And um, I didn't feel like you don't care enough about the brother to to be upset that he dies, but, um, the two main characters are alive at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Two of the three main characters, <laughs> the other one being the villain is dead. Uh, yes. so it's a pretty Hollywood ending, I would say. Um, but, uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's quite old fashioned in a sense. Cause it's, uh, it's got that Gothic trope of the, uh, you have a woman at the center of it and no one believes her. And, uh, there's some murderous goings on afoot. Yeah, yeah. But it, but in this case, it's uh, it doesn't 
stick with Stephanie's point of view. It's like it's also following the brother. It's also following what's going on in uh, Jerry's head. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's, there's several points of view going on. Yeah. Whereas the older movies, the gothic movies like Rebecca and um, you know, another Hitchcock, um, it would and the Gaslight films, uh, you you'd stick with the woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we we uh, we get to kind of see behind the scenes what he's up to. If we were, if if that was hidden from view, it would probably create a lot more suspense. Like if yeah. if he would just appear yeah. and we don't know what he does or doesn't know, it would be scarier. But uh, you know, for but I, I thought is is I, I don't know they did their own thing by showing like straight off showing that yeah he's crazy and he, this is what he does. Right. And then uh, and then you drop him back into this situation where no one knows what he's like. Yeah. Uh, so that that's their approach to suspense, but uh, I, in the older movies they would have they wouldn't have shown that and you you'd be wondering all the way through. Yeah. Is, is she actually crazy or is he actually going to try and kill her? Yeah, it it works for entertainment more so than it works as like proper art. You know, but uh, it looks good while doing it and um, it doesn't get you bored for even a minute. You know, it it keeps moving forward. So I got to say, for those reasons, it really works. Uh, Could it have have been better? Sure. Like in hindsight, we could say, yeah, those are the things that would have made it more suspenseful or even better. But uh, good movie nonetheless. Um, Yeah. I'd pair it up with the hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. <laughs> or single white female. Maybe. Similar era. I was thinking hand the rock for cradles a little more domestic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the baby, what was the babysitter one with? Uh, oh God. What was it called? I think it was Alicia Silverstone. I don't know. Oh, uh, the crush. I think it was a crush. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's another domestic, uh, uh, somebody's being, somebody's being, uh, set up. Somebody's being, well, set up. Yes. Not gaslighted, but whenever there's a good setup or a good gaslighting, holy crap. That always makes for such an interesting yeah. movie. You know, it's like, oh, they're not to be believed. It's like they bring their best evidence forward and then there's something that just completely disproves it in, fr- yeah. in front of God and everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those are um, those are interesting movies. So, Jolien, uh, so where does this fall as far as like, obviously, it's not a proper horror movie. Um, it's more of a suspense movie. But uh, as far as something, would you recommend it to a horror fan? As oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, if you want a straight up slasher, then watch the sequel. But it's not. It's not in the same league. Is he in it? Is Terry Quinn in it? Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, he's in the first sequel, and then they did an HBO film, and then they did a remake in two thousand nine, I think. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah, that's the one I did not see. But you said you made it ten minutes through that one. No, no, that was the, uh, uh, you were talking about Father's Day movies. Oh, that was Father's Day you didn't yeah, make it. There was a 2011 film called Father's Day. I made it 10 Ooh, minutes. 
Yeah, that, that was the, that looked terrible. That was the trauma movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it had a butt on the poster. So <laughs> we we could say one good thing about it. Um, so uh, Will, from what you remember of this one, uh, is this something you would recommend for horror fans? Yeah, I remember this one being pretty good. Yeah. Um, I kind of want. Did you know this is based on a real case? No, is oh, it? Oh, really? Oh, I thought you'd be into that because you're into the true life crime stuff. Yeah. Huh. Uh, this, yeah, uh, this is based on John List. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he, he married this uh, Korean war widow back in 1951. Um, but uh, then in uh, like a, a couple of decades later, he, uh, he lost his job. Uh, but he still went out and uh, commuted and he'd just spend all day reading newspapers and things and plotting. And then he'd come back home at the end of the day as if he was still working and he'd just steal money from his mother who lived with them at this big house in, uh, I think it was New Jersey. And uh, so he, you know, he, he, he was owing tons of money. Uh, and then uh, he found out that his, his wife had syphilis from her first husband and hadn't told him and she was also a heavy drinker and uh so uh 1971 uh he he killed off I think, all but one of his family including his mother um shot them all wow uh uh whole, you know stacked them neatly in the uh in the ballroom of this house and uh uh he cut out all the pictures of himself that were in the house, and uh, and then he left, and he uh, he left his car at an airport, and uh, never you know, saw him again. Dropped out of sight, and then uh, the first uh, marriage that we know of after that was in. Uh, he got married to a woman in 1984, but uh, uh, I mean. I, Backtracking a bit, uh, so these, these murders happened in New Jersey and uh, Brian Garfield was living there at the time and he heard about them and he contacted uh, Donald Westlake and they came up with a story uh, in the mid-70s and then that was being shocked around for uh, you know over a decade until it became the stepfather. Anyway, um, so John List gets to, uh, he, he takes the name of Bob Clark huh. from one of his old classmates and... Uh, he, he, he's, you know, he's got married again in the eighties, and he uh, he moved to Denver. Oh, no kidding! And, wow. Uh, uh, so lived lived here for a while, and uh, then uh, they moved out to Virginia. But uh, then uh, America's Most Wanted started on TV, and uh, they did, I think one of their earliest episodes. They got in the sculptor, and he made a bust of John List and uh, it was an aged bust so it was like what would he look like now oh the yeah. age, the age progression thing yeah the age progression that's it i saw that episode he he nailed it and the the old neighbors in denver recognized it and said we know who this guy is and uh, so then the police turn up uh, uh, you know this this fellow's door in uh, virginia and arrest him and uh, so in 1989, and then uh, he's, he's taken away and he, he denies everything for, for a while, but then there's so much evidence. 
they have on him, including this confessional letter he'd written at the time to his priest. And uh, so he eventually confessed and uh, he, he died like 12 years ago, I think. Yeah, in prison. Yeah, but he, he'd, uh, he, he killed all his family because, uh, you know, he, he couldn't face poverty and uh, uh, he wanted them to go to heaven. He was, he was like a religious guy. Yeah. And uh, they, they said, why didn't you just kill yourself? And he said, well, that's a sin. Yeah. Good thinking there. Cause he couldn't, um, he couldn't get into heaven. That's what he, <laughs> I remember yeah. this. Oh, this guy was, yeah, so that's I, a sin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> might missing a few details here, John. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the final irony was that uh, that the big house that his family had lived in, they had this skylight over the ballroom, which was a Tiffany skylight. If he'd sold that, he would have paid off his debts. Oh, wow. It was, it was worth about $100,000 at the time, 1971. Yeah. Wow. Ah, it's it's always funny. Like uh, th- that's one of those things where you, if you've ever watched Antiques Roadshow, it, you'll see like a you know a couple of a couple of dum dums show up with some lampshade, and they'll it goes one of two ways: either they're handling it like it's a piece of junk, and they find out that it's a Tiffany lampshade and it's worth you know tens of thousands of dollars, or they show up thinking they've got a Tiffany lampshade and they find out that it's um you know something from TJ Maxx that's worth about $13. But, uh, wow, that's so crazy. Like just the skylight would have, would have made him rich in its, in its time. But, but yeah, this, uh, this chameleon thing is, is kind of an interesting storyline. I, I, I don't think it's been done to death, which is really surprising. No, there's a, the character in uh, Usual Suspects was based on uh, John List as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that Kaiser Soze character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Don't want to spoil that one for the listeners if they haven't seen it. No, 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 no. Yeah, if you're, if you're digging into the Kevin Spacey catalog and really just enjoying his work, uh, we don't want to ruin anything for you. Yeah. Nothing, nothing problematic there. Don't, don't look up Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Yeah. Don't enjoy his work and just stay off the internet. Yep. Yep. Get away. Don't give him any money now. Right. <laughs> just, you know, watch it in the most free possible way. Yeah. All right. Well, is that a good place to leave it? I think so. Pretty good. Yeah. Episode. yeah. Well, um, I like I like that we got that uh, true crime history at the end, Julian. That was awesome. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I thought you'd know that. Yeah. Well, I totally. I know the name John List. I didn't realize this was based on that, though. Yeah. Um. As you're as you're telling the story, I'm remembering that he was a guy with glasses and the age progression thing. They made him kind of you know, put some jowl kind of facial shape to him and said, "We think he would look like this." And yeah, side yeah, and side by side, I do remember that. Like the the mugshot photo and the age progression sculpture were so close. Like, don't mess around with artists. I think is the moral of that story. (laughs) Too right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Well, that kind of covers some Father's Day stuff for June. Um, 
June is when kids would typically go off to summer camp. Do you think we should cover some summer campy movie for next time? Sure. There's one out there. Is there one out there we haven't covered? I don't know. I would have to I would have to scroll back through our catalog and make sure we wouldn't be because I know we did the burning and pieces, yeah. and I don't know burning, if we, uh, yeah burning we did a live watch for that. that was rubbish <laughs> um, uh, yeah pieces isn't a camp movie that's my campus yeah uh, uh, we've done sleepaway camp I don't know that we have. Uh, on Friday the 13th, obviously. Yep. From eight. Um, yeah, I, I can send you a list. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, let's pick a summer camp one for next week. Um, if we haven't done sleepaway camp, that might be fun. Um, and, uh, we've watched too many movies. Well, <laughs> obviously, I mean, between our recently watched you know, and, the Omen and Stepfather both. I'm like, I think I watched both of those for this show. <laughs> nope. <laughs> We've done uh, Just Before Dawn. That's no. Good. No, I don't think yep, we have. We watched that one. Did we? All right. Oh. No, we could. We could. Yes. Okay. Just Before Dawn. All right. Let's let's uh, mm-hmm. let's plan on uh, doing that one and um, Sleepaway Camp as our maybe next couple movies. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool. All right, guys. Well, stay safe. And uh, Jolien, I hope you get better sleep um, if the helicopters can just <laughs> chill out. And uh, All right. Cool. Hey, listeners, wherever you are, thank you for listening. And I'm bananas. <laughs>